traders, and welcome to the Money Podcast. This episode, we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies. You know, cryptocurrencies are still a hot financial topic, even though Bitcoin is now down 20 grand from its 2021 high of $67,000. Today, we're going to look at whether to invest in crypto, how to invest in crypto, which crypto you should invest in, and most important, how to make money doing it. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hey, Miranda. Hey, yo. Let's do some crypto. Let's do it. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Let's do some crippy. I mean, crypto. <laughs> Today, we have a special guest, too, and that is Eric Rosenberg. He's a financial expert and a major crypto investor. Welcome to our program, Eric. Hello. Glad to be here. Let's get the ball rolling. But first, a quick disclaimer. Should we discuss specific investments in this show, and I, I think we are going to, uh, don't take them as recommendations because they're not recommendations. Before you invest in anything, you've got to do your own research. you got to make your own decisions. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. First, Eric, let's start with learning a little bit more about you. Why are you, why are you an expert? What are, what's your background? Sure. So I have been writing about personal finance and money-related topics since 2008 online. I guess that makes me a dinosaur in blogger years. I always like to joke. Actually, I have a, I have a few on, uh, on Money Talks News. <laughs> That's true. Miranda beats me by a little bit. Uh, you, you, guys, have, you guys want to back up a step? I started this business in 1991. Uh, so you beat me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so I've been writing about money online for a long time. I have a, a strong financial background. I have an undergrad and MBA in finance. I used to work in a bank and in a payments company and in big, big companies doing financial jobs. I call it cubicle land for about a decade. And as cryptocurrency has grown as a topic, it's something I've, I've always been kind of a computer nerd. So I've gotten very engaged in that community and I've watched it grow. My only regret, is, um, as Miranda knows, is that I just never bought more and held it. Because if I had, then I'd probably be a lot richer today. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been an interesting journey, and I'm excited to to talk about it and help the the community here learn more about crypto and if it makes sense for them. Awesome. And, and I've got some really good news for our listeners, and especially for you, Miranda. I'm not going to talk that much in this one. <laughs> Exciting. Because usually I, do, I talk, Eric, because I really like hearing myself talk. But this time, though, this is a topic... I really don't know that much about. And I've been doing personal finance for 40 years. And, I, and this is a topic, I own some crypto, but I have lots and lots of questions. And I hope that you guys are able to answer. And Miranda is good at this too. So what I, what I own is Ethereum, but let, let's, talk, let, let's talk about the lay of the land. How many, how many different cryptos are there, or, or cryptocurrencies? Is that, is that even the right word? We should be using cryptocurrencies? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So there are about 10,000 10, cryptocurrencies right <laughs> wow, now. Wow, that's, that's a, a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. more than so, our stocks. That, like, there might be. Yeah, so the <laughs> the cryptocurrency world, it's actually really easy to create a new cryptocurrency. That doesn't mean it's going to be worth anything. Some of them, as we know, just like the stock market, some are worth something, some are not worth something, some end up being a big scam. It's just like any other financial market in, in that sense. So it's... but. Unlike a public company where it takes you know, probably years of work or fundraising and lawyers and jumping through a lot of hoops with the SEC, I could create a cryptocurrency if I wanted right now, and it'd probably take 10, 20 minutes, I could have one up and running. Again, doesn't mean it's worth something, but the software behind it, you know, it's like... Um, 
like uh, email servers. Those are some things we've picked on in the past in the news. Anyone who has the right technology skills could go with a computer and set up an email server or a website or uh, any other kind of software application. Cryptocurrencies are kind of like that in a way because they're based on software. And if you have the right expertise, you could go launch your own. Well, okay. And actually, we should back up a step here for, for our novice listeners. And I know we've done this 500 times in, in different podcasts, but, but quick sentence explaining or two explaining <laughs> what a crypto is. Sure. So I, I don't know if I can do it in one sentence, but I'll try to do it in as few as possible. <laughs> okay. So the basic answer is a cryptocurrency is a digital form of money. So or that's how it gets the name, cryptocurrency. It is run through cryptographic algorithms. So if you're a history buff and you know about those Enigma machines that they used during World War II, it's actually kind of a similar technology to what spies use in movies and stuff, except we're not using it to try to hide information and uh, communications. We're using it to secure a network of transactions. What's the so that's point where the crypto though? part comes from. What's the point, Eric? Why, why are we doing this? So the reason we do it is, so those dollars you have in your pocket, sometimes you take out a $10 bill or a $20 bill, you can look at uh, those little serial numbers on there that say that is a unique bill, right? But you don't care if you have the $10 bill in my hand or the $10 bill in your hand, it's all the same. But if I want to send you $10, it's not necessarily a quick or easy or automatic process. It's Let's say I have a account at Chase and you have an account at Wells Fargo. I want to send you $10. We have to jump through some hoops to do that. There's a few middle organizations, the banks and the ACH providers. But if you use cryptocurrency, you don't need any of that at all. I could send Miranda here $10 worth of Ethereum with a couple clicks of my mouse. And it, we just have to have the right codes in place to do that. So what you just said was you're going to send $10 to all of our listeners right now. <laughs> okay, that's not exactly not what quite, you said, but, I but could. that's what I heard. If, if I wanted, if, if I had the money and I wanted with <laughs> cryptocurrency, that is something you could do. There, there are mechanisms to do that. And with regular bank accounts, there's not. Uh, yeah. So that's part of what's cool about it is it's an open system, an open network where anyone with the right wallet or the right account can participate. So, Eric, basically what it is is like you're saying that we are our own bank. There's no more a Wells Fargo. There's no more a Wachovia or anything. It's, it's, of course, that doesn't exist anywhere anyway. But yeah, there is no more so, Wachovia. So it's St Stacy Bank, it's Eric Bank, it's Aaron Bank, and Miranda Bank. Yes, if you want to use it that way, you can absolutely do that. With uh, I actually have a couple of cryptocurrency hardware wallets. I think Miranda has a couple hardware wallets, too. And we can get, get into wallets if you want. But wallets are a set of public and private keys. So that's just a long set of random letters and numbers that you, no one could really ever probably guess. And those keys let people send currency to you, the public one. And the private one is like your password to unlock the wallet and send to someone else. So if you have both of those, whether it's on your computer or on a hardware device, that kind of acts as your bank, which is good and bad in some ways. So the good of it is you don't need the big bank out there to do all the middle stuff for you. If, if you live uh, one really great use case, I think, let's say you live in the U.S. and you have family abroad and you send money back to your family. Uh, right now, your options to do that are things like Western Union and MoneyGram, and you have to pay a bunch of fees. When everyone's kind of their own bank, you could just hit a few buttons and your family and uh, wherever they are in the world will have that money. 
So that's a really neat feature and uh, it can save a lot of money and there, there's some really neat potential to that. But the downside, if you lose those keys, you've lost your bank kind of. You know, there's no one there to protect you. There's no, uh, yeah, no, no 1-800 number to fix it. Yeah, there's no FDIC. If you send your money to the wrong wallet, it's gone. If someone hacks your wallet, it's gone. Uh, there's no uh, there's no protections like a credit card. So you have to really know what you're doing in some ways and be very careful and thoughtful about how you do it if you want to do the be your own bank side okay. of crypto. Actually, okay, I, I want to ask you about wallets because that's this one of the questions I legitimately have. Uh, I, now, I've bought some crypto. I, I bought it uh, through Coinbase and I bought some more through another brokerage firm. So, I, But it's sitting there like a stock. You know, when I buy, you buy a mm -hmm. stock, they, they have custody of it. Okay, now suppose I want to put that in a wallet because that's not in a wallet, right? It's being held by somebody else. How do I how do I do that? Sure. So it is in a wallet right now. A cryptocurrency has to be in a wallet. So the wallet is just held by your custodian. So if you buy through Coinbase, Coinbase has a whole bunch of wallets and they they keep all of the currency for you. If you wanted to send from your exchange account to your own wallet. You could do that. So you'd log in. Uh, most brokerages or exchanges let you do this, but not all. That's something important to note. Like if you have an account with, I think Robinhood just added that feature this week. Uh, SoFi, you can't withdraw. I don't think, I'm not sure about the Cash App, but most of the big crypto focused exchanges like Coinbase or Kraken or or anyone that, or Binance, they will let you withdraw. Sometimes there's fees though. So when you withdraw, what you're doing is you're saying send from my custodian's wallet to my own wallet. And you use your public address to do that, but you have to have your private wallet, the one that you want to use, all set up and ready to go. For where do that I get a wallet? Work. I don't understand. Where do, I, do, do I buy a wallet? Is it made yeah, of leather? I mean, where, so, where do I get this thing? So your wallet Miranda, actually- do you want to take this one? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your wallet, actually, it looks kind of like a hard drive. I've got one. Just a second. For you for you viewers at home yeah. who are watching on the YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> she's, gonna she's finding that- I have wallet so this is a new one that I got from a friend that I'm what actually going to be that, setting that's up. That's a box, right? So, no, it's inside. It looks like this. It looks oh, very... Oh, so it looks like a thumb drive. Yeah, it looks like a thumb drive. Yes. And basically what you... Is that called a cold wallet? Yes. This is yes. a cold storage yeah. device. It's a cold wallet. A cold wallet? Why is it yeah. called a yeah. cold wallet? Because it's not... It's called a cold wallet. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I, I'm like you, Stacey. I, I like hearing like, myself oh my talk, so I just want to jump in. <laughs> that, hey, that's why you're here, Rich. We want to hear you talk. Because it's not attached. <laughs> so basically, if it's attached to the internet and anybody can access it or, um, you know, it's hot, like like hot wired uh it's a and that's a hot oh, okay. wallet now a okay, cold wallet so is, how much did that cost miranda so for me it was free because a client i sent i i work for sent it to me for christmas um so but normally they cost somewhere anywhere between 75 and 200 dollars, depending on what you oh, get that's a lot the cryptos, that'd be like five bucks yeah no and and it's it's so basically what you do is you get it uh you download the appropriate software uh that you need and then, um, and then it works. That then you do have to plug it into your computer, but it doesn't stay plugged into your computer. And so this is why I actually have a different uh, wallet that I've had since oh gosh, like two thousand. 
2016 or 2017 in there. And that's where most of my crypto holdings are, is on the cold wallet that I keep in my fireproof and waterproof document safe. Um, I mean, and I'll be switching that stuff to this newer, new and improved wallet. Uh, but yeah, so basically... So now I, all I have to do now is find out your address and I can come and steal your no, wallet. No, you can't. Kind of. <laughs> well, it depends because because there are keys to go with it, so you have to know the keys to take the money out uh, and the passwords and the passwords. Yeah, so, Anybody can put uh, money okay, in. Yeah. You can send any amount of crypto to me that you want, just sending it to my wallet. But to get it out, um, you have to know the keys. You have to know the passwords um, and a cold. And and this is one of the most secure ways to to do it. If you're doing something like keeping it on an exchange, that's hackable. If you're doing something even right, even keeping right. it in like like a, in a wallet like MetaMask that's like, uh, you know, like a browser extension that is also hackable. So so you just answered the next question I was going to ask you, too, which is why bother with a wallet when when Coinbase will hold your your crypto for you? Well, so, so with the hardware wallet, so there's different as we said, there's different kinds of wallets. The hardware wallet is kind of like the Fort Knox of cryptocurrency for your own use. That's a very secure thing, as Miranda said, once you unplug it from the computer, even if someone has your passwords, they can't get your keys because your keys live on that device. Uh -huh. So the reason why you would use something like MetaMask, which uh, Miranda mentioned, that's a software wallet that sits in your web browser. I actually am looking at the little logo right now. I have MetaMask. And the reason you use that is MetaMask is what enables you or a similar software wallet to interact with the public blockchain networks. So when you use a cryptocurrency account at somewhere like Coinbase, it's kind of like if you had an account at Schwab or Fidelity, where you're buying and selling the assets through their interface, and they're connecting to the exchange and doing all the behind the scenes for you. When you're your own bank, you have to do all that. And the way you do it is using usually a software wallet like MetaMask. And actually Ledger, the wallet Miranda was just showing, you can connect to MetaMask to make your software wallet on your computer a more secure hardware wallet also. So there's ways okay. to make it more secure and complicated. But now my eyes are starting to glaze over just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. However, so, however, it, it, let me ask you this last question and then we'll get off of wallets. <laughs> sure. Is it is it your advice to have a wallet or to leave your stuff at you know, a deal at an exchange. It's, it depends on you and what your goals are and how you do the crypto world. Uh, I was talking to one of my mom's friends. He's a guy about 70. And I said, you know, for you, go, go on Coinbase, you know, buy the Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever it is you want, and just leave it there. That's probably best. If I'm talking to one of my computer nerd friends, the answer might be a little different. So I'd say, you know, look at yourself, know your own computer skills and how comfortable you are with it. If, if you're the kind of person who calls your kid or grandkid and asks for help with your email and your pictures, you definitely want to stick with something like Coinbase. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are the kind of person who likes to tinker around and fix problems on the computer when you have them on your own and you like beta tests and new things, then you're the kind of person who should probably think about software or hardware wallets. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. By the way, I appreciate you using your mother's friends as an example <laughs> instead of just looking at me and saying, look, Stacy, you're too old for this. Leave your stuff at Coinbase. I actually had the I... conversation. He came up to me. We were having uh, brunch and he said, Eric, I know you write about all this crypto stuff. If I want to buy a thousand dollars of bitcoin what do i do and i said you yeah. you, you you go to coinbase you know, and, that's, that's what, what for were you him, gonna that's say easiest. 
And I was going to say, you can have multiple things for, so like I have my hardware wallet where I keep the bulk of the value of my crypto, right? So I have Bitcoin sitting like a small fraction of my Bitcoin on Coinbase, right? On an exchange, but most of it is actually in the hardware wallet. So the stuff that I've got for storage for long term, uh, the crypto that I'm just keeping for long term, whatever, someday if I ever become a crypto millionaire, that stuff (laughs) is sitting in cold storage where it can can't be hacked where people can't get at it so that's that's the bulk of it it's like a yeah it's like a savings account versus a bank account versus the wallet you carry around every day the wallet you carry around every day right and then i have money on in like on the exchange like i have it there so it's quick and easy for me to like if i want to make a transaction do something fast it's there and then i also have the software wallet attached to my browser so that if i want to do something um that's that requires like a little more transaction i can do that so i have if your house burns down do you lose your wallet i mean are you done are you toast no because I keep it in the document safe that's fireproof and no, waterproof. But, if you, but hey, but yeah, but okay. So it would, and theoretically, then if we're sitting on your desk and your house burned down, you would lose yes, all your. Yes, exactly. Crypto. Which is. I actually, okay. but for that reason, I actually have two ledger wallets mm. and using what's called a seed phrase. Yes. Uh, you can open your same wallet on multiple hardware wallets or software mm-hmm. wallets. So I actually made a copy of my wallet. And I took it to a secure place at a relative's house that I trust, and I made mm-hmm. copies of everything I need. So, actually, so the- uh, I live about two blocks from where there was a major fire about four years ago. So, I thought, what if my house does burn down? That could happen. Or what if someone breaks in when you're not home? So, if someone breaks in, they can't steal my stuff because they don't know my passwords. Even if they get the device, okay. they can't use it. But I so have another fundament- copy. This is fundamentally making currency so much more understandable for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, more understandable. Are you being sarcastic? Are you being real? No, it's complicated. But once, uh, yeah, I think once because, you, you know, understand I understood it, the other wallets. I, I never had a conversation as long about a wallet. <laughs> I understood the kind you carry in your pocket, but now these are totally different. But listen, listen, listen. We have to first of all, we have to take a break, and then when we come back, and while we're while during this commercial break, Eric is going to send all of you guys listening. Ten dollars, or what was it? A hundred dollars. I'll send uh, everyone a Bitcoin, right? Okay, but okay, but in the meantime, we're going to be right back. And when we come back, (laughs) when we come back, I want to. We're going to have a conversation about exactly which of these ten thousand cryptocurrencies I should be buying. Okay, so we're going to be right back, guys. Right after this quick message. Okay, we're back, and as promised, uh, Eric did send all you guys some money, uh, (laughs) some crypto. If you're listening to this, you are now richer than you were at the beginning of this podcast. If you can't find it, well, that's because you don't have a a good wallet. (laughs) Okay, now, now let's talk about exactly. Okay, I own, I I own some Bitcoin. I own some Ether. Now, Miranda is always going on and on about all these other little coins, these little things that come up. Why why don't I just stick with the two big guys and not worry about all this other stuff? Or should I worry about the other stuff? Yeah, so that is a great question and a, and a great way to... So the way I look at the cryptocurrency world, as we said, there's about 10,000 different currencies you can choose from. So what sets Bitcoin apart from baby Dogecoin? I'll just use that as an example. Uh, there's all these little ones, like meme coins, we call them, that you you might hear about in the news. But basically, there are some coins, the way I look at it, and this is getting to be kind of opinion rather than fact. The way I look at it, there are certain currencies that are useful for something and certain currencies that are not useful for something. 
And if we think back about 20 years ago, however, however old you listeners are, if you remember the dot-com boom and the dot-com bubble, that was I was around high school and college when that happened. And I remembered any time a company said something and they just put dot-com on the end of their name, they could go raise a billion dollars in Silicon Valley and everyone would think they were a genius. And what happened was, as we all know, a lot of them blew up and became nothing, like pets.com is kind of the big famous horror story. But other ones were ebay and paypal i know that stock didn't work so great for you but they're still around uh, amazon they came out of that uh, so i think we're going to see something kind of similar with the crypto world where right now if you put the term blockchain on it it's just really easy to raise money and everyone gets really excited and hyped up about it but really a good chunk of them are junk and or some of them are even scams and you want to not get into those little tiny ones probably for the most part but the big ones that have a real use that someone can do something with those are the ones that i think might have a real future and but that do, could be do, do you like ether ether is great yeah so the ones that i like most um personally so bitcoin we kind of look like that as kind of the the gold standard almost in in the crypto world there's only ever going to be 21 million of them and then that's it right now we're at about 19 million have been created of the 21 so that one is valuable because it's kind of the original one and there's a scarce supply but when you look at something like ethereum ethereum you can do so much with it, it's not just something you can buy and hold and sell it's actually useful for many tasks and that includes Actually, this morning I was writing an article about a cryptocurrency called Decentraland or Mana, and that's an online game. If you've heard the term metaverse, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's making yeah. that a big term, but it's, it's, it's pretty much a video game <laughs> you play online. In Decentraland, you can go with your phone or your computer and play in this online world, and you have a character. But if you want to buy a new jacket for that character, you can buy it with Decentraland's cryptocurrency. And Decentraland runs on the Ethereum network. So you have to pay a little bit in Ethereum fees to use Decentraland. And, and you have to use it. This is something I've never understood either. You, okay, I want to build something on the Ethereum blockchain. Sure. I want to create a new app or something. Okay. Money do talks money. It? Yeah. Do I, <laughs> do I have to buy Ethereum to do that? Yes, you would need. So how that works is on the blockchain software, there's an ability to kind of extend it or add more tools. Like if you use the Chrome browser, you can add those plugins to give you more features. Uh -huh. So you can do the same thing with blockchains. In Ethereum, and most of them, you do that with something called a smart contract. A smart contract is a little piece of software code that plugs into the blockchain that gives it an extra feature. So when they made Decentraland or many, many other currencies, they do that with a smart contract. But hey, you can't can just I... upload the smart contract. You have to pay the network a small fee to in Ethereum. do that in Ethereum. Can okay, I, can so I roll it, gives... Can I roll this Go back ahead, real quick? Um, all right. So this is cool. I mean, we talked about Ethereum in other podcasts. When we talked about, hey, this is really cool. You know, you can like uh, tag artwork and stuff like that, and 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 uh, you know, whatever PDFs. I mean, contracts between you know buying a house or whatever, which is really cool. But the big thing here is we keep calling it a currency. And this thing is nowhere near close to being a currency. None of them are. Right? Well, why do you say that, Aaron? Because it, cause it, it's so volatile? Okay, so exactly. It's volatile. So you can't use it because physical money right now is worth about $31 trillion. And it's got at that level, so it's stable. 
Bitcoin is only valued at around $40 billion. So it fluctuates so much that it's not stable enough to use as a currency. And yet we keep pushing it, but it's got a long way to go. I mean, we would literally have to have the entire world invested in this thing to get up to that point. You know, I mean, all world combined is worth about $83 trillion. So it has a long way to go before it can be a viable currency. And I actually, I don't, I actually don't expect... I'd say that's partially true. And I actually don't expect Bitcoin to become an everyday medium of exchange. Um, just like we don't use gold as an everyday medium of exchange. I don't expect that. And I honestly, and maybe Eric has a different take on this, but I honestly see this more as a speculation. If you want to invest in this, this is a speculation. And like what Eric was saying is, is we can get into the weeds about the mechanics of how Ethereum works or Decentraland works. But the bottom line is, if you're looking for something like this and you want to speculate on this, what Eric is talking about is a use case. What is the use case? What is the underlying use case? What could it potentially do? Do. Can it ease, even if we don't ever use Ethereum as a currency, can it make transactions easier? Can we put a smart contract on Ethereum and say, okay, we are going to have a real estate transaction. Now we don't need, we, now we don't need escrow. We can do a smart contract. It executes, you get an NFT that is your deed to the house and it makes things easier and makes and, and smooths the process. Is Ethereum probably going to be a medium of exchange? Maybe not, but the blockchain could potentially provide a way to smooth different transactions. And the reason why, the, yeah, the reason why the ethereum ecosystem um and and related um coins and apps are so interesting to many people is because there's that underlying use case for instance uh like i like uh i have polka dot this is something that helps blockchains interoperate with each other and so it has right because bitcoin ethereum tezos they don't interact with each other but if you have if you have something that helps them interact with each other and smooth these transactions then it's got an underlying use case and so i think what what we're trying to say here is is do we expect personally these cryptocurrencies yes you can use them as medium as a change people do when you are playing decentraland and you are in decentraland you use mana as as exchange you use mana as a medium of exchange within that ecosystem yeah within that ecosystem similar to you know other ways of doing it so do we think it's going to be do i personally think it's going to be widespread take over the world probably not i see it as a speculative investment and i look for a use case and say what is likely to move forward what could help us with our underlying architecture and how is this going to be used practically well, that's my question is, okay, so if, if Bitcoin isn't near the value of the dollar yet, so it's not stable. So I got swings from anywhere from $25,000 for a Bitcoin to 60000 for a Bitcoin. This makes it very hard for me to get behind it, you know, to buy anything with. But yeah, now but I've yeah, got the dollar. You don't buy something with it. You don't have right? to, right? But and also you have a public ledger, which in theory means that, you know, IRS can look at it. Anybody can look at it. You can look at these public ledgers. And then I have, you know... Uh, the government going, hey, we might create the digital dollar pretty soon, five years, eight years, whenever they're going to figure that out. Yeah, what about that, If the digital dollar can happen, why would I even, and the value of the dollar is already stable and it's already out there and widely used, why would I even be looking at at it? There's a lot of points in there to unpack. I don't know if we'll have time time to get through all of it. But so, um, 
there's a few angles to look at. So using it as a currency, like I've actually done that. I've been paid by clients in Bitcoin. And just last week I had a client or uh, someone who I was working with in Canada and I needed to pay him $500. And he was like, well, let's use PayPal. And I said, like, well, they're going to charge us like $30 to convert it and send it and all that stuff. That seems silly. And we actually figured out the easiest way to send him money was using US dollar coin which is a cryptocurrency that's pegged to always be worth $1. And it runs on the Ethereum network and the fees to send it. Um, if you, We didn't talk about mining, but miners are computers that run around the world that process the transactions uh, for whenever a transaction goes through. So you pay a small fee, depending on what you're doing, it can be a big fee. But this one, it was a small fee to the miners, just a couple bucks. And he got the payment and it was almost instant. It took place in just a couple minutes. And then he had the money in his wallet and he could do whatever he wanted with it. So for that, it's useful as a currency. But as you said, so why would you use, you wouldn't necessarily use Bitcoin for something like that because it is volatile. There is uh, a lot of risk to it, but as again, going in, as, as we were talking with Miranda, the technology behind it is what I think is really cool. And yeah, I don't think Bitcoin's going to take over the world, but I do think it's, it's the next evolution of possibly of our financial system that gives us some really neat tools yeah, to do things say, we couldn't before. You say possibly, and, and this leads me to a question. Okay. A couple of years ago. <laughs> that's why, that's why yes. I call it well, a speculative exactly, investment. Exactly. This is right. This is exactly what I want to get to. A couple of years ago, I really thought that this stuff was tulip bulbs. I mean, you know, there's there, because there's no fundamentals behind it. Apple makes iPhones. People buy iPhones. Apple makes money. I make money as a shareholder of Apple. But this is something where there is no intrinsic value at all. And so I was saying that, you know, this, like I said, I don't know, I don't know if you get the tulip bulb reference. Those who oh, are listening, but you know, <laughs> Dutch the, tulips, like like major speculation in the 1600s uh, of tulip bulbs and blah blah blah, and it went down the tubes. And everybody lost everything. Um, and, and I thought maybe that's what this was. But now, you know, years have gone by, and now I'm thinking that maybe the, this is going to be Web 3, right? Web 1 was publisher rights, uh, user reads. Web 2 was uh, the, uh, the public rights, you know, in other words, Facebook, and, and, and everybody reads. But Facebook makes all the money. Web 3 is we're all going to be making our own money and doing our own stuff. Uh, and I don't know if that's a great explanation, but in other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's starting to make more sense to me now. Yeah. And so if I, so if I, I'm going to ask all three of you this question on a scale of one to 10, is, is this here to stay? Uh, one means have, you know, probably not. And 10 means I would bet my life on it. Where would you be, Eric? I'd say blockchain tech, not for any specific currency, but blockchain technology in general, probably an eight. I think okay. it's I think it's going to change how we do a lot of things fundamentally. Like we talked about real estate transactions for a quick moment. The place that I think we see could see the biggest potential is looking at like the stock market. And if we look at the uh, evolution over time, like if you use spreadsheets like Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets, uh, before that, what did we do? So a lot of us don't remember, but accountants used to use paper and pen in these big physical spreadsheets. Then we got Excel and then we got databases. If you've ever worked with like Access or online databases, they can handle way more information in a different way. Blockchain, I look at it as just the next step to that. It's okay, another kind okay. of database tool and I don't think it's going anywhere. So eight, okay. Miranda, I'd put it at 
uh, like a 6.5 to 7. Uh, but like Eric for the blockchain technology, um, there's some interesting stuff we don't want to get in the weeds with, but um, Hashgraph could actually, uh, the idea of the Hashgraph could actually leapfrog blockchain technology um so who knows here's what i just heard you say blah 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 blockchain. <laughs> exactly but it's hard to say but this is why this is why we talk about it being a speculative investment right like let's look at that's why we say when if you're going to invest in something don't just do it because it's the hotness do it because there's a there might be an underlying use case for it like easing transactions like what eric talked about oh it was so much easier and cheaper just to send some money uh you know without having to worry about paying um exchange fees without having to worry about paying these huge other fees uh you know so let's look at that let's look at the underlying use case and yeah i think there's definitely um some room for for using these things to help facilitate what the next evolution of our internet infrastructure looks like okay aaron you're the last one what do you say um, I think the blockchain technology is very cool. And I think if you're going to invest in it now, I would say try to find ETFs that are investing in the actual underlying technology, the, the hard drives, the CPUs that, that do it, the companies that are behind like all NVIDIA. of the... Yeah, like by the way, NVIDIA. You didn't, give me, you didn't give me a 1 to 10, by the way. It, it was a simple question. <laughs> is it, though? Is it a simple question? <laughs> it's not a simple question. I, you know, I think... Uh, I think the privacy issue behind Bitcoin has not come to bear yet. Um, I don't think people realize that, you know, if I send $10 to Stacy, that's on a ledger and the IRS might look at it and go, hey, Stacy just earned 10 bucks in fiat currency. I can do that with nobody knowing. And I think a lot of this privacy stuff is oh, yet, interesting. yet to bear. So, so your concern is that you can't break the law as easily? Yes. Well, the idea behind this is <laughs> because a, 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 a lot of, true, well, a lot of people were angry at companies. You know, when the housing market crashed, a lot of people said, "Hey, you know, let's let's bring this uh, Bitcoin." Came out of nowhere because you know we need we need to have an open ledger to find out what these companies are doing, what the government is doing, and that's where a lot of this was built off of. But once the public starts being more aware of the privacy issues, I, I don't know what's going to happen after that. And, and this was supposed to facilitate illegal transactions, wasn't it? Or, or to, you know, to keep money out of government, you know, without the government seeing it, isn't it? Wasn't that one of the? I'm not saying that's why it was designed, um, but uh, I'm saying, isn't it the opposite? Didn't people have the impression that this is a way of laundering or hiding money? Yes, yeah, so it's not. It's the people opposite. had that impression, and early on, it had been used in a lot, in a handful of illegal transactions. Notably, there was a big marketplace called Silk Road, which is a really great story if if you like stories. <laughs> but Silk Road was probably at the big bitcoin illegal use marketplace but it's now as we all know it's it's a semi-anonymous way to transact it is not fully anonymous the wallet address you have you know, nobody else in the world just by looking at it would necessarily know it's yours but if the fbi wants to figure it out or the whoever agency they probably could uh, so there, there is a way to probably okay. figure out who owns which wallet. So that is something to be aware of. If you, if you're trying to hide something, uh, you probably don't want to be doing crypto. But you know, I didn't care that. I didn't care if the world knew that I sent five hundred dollars yeah. to my friend yeah. in Canada. <laughs> yeah, we we actually are out of time, but I I want to I want to ask another or, or or make one more statement. And when I think about investing in crypto, and I've said this before in this podcast, one of the major problems I have is that this is a at least potentially manipulated market. Oh, yeah. somebody bought 
somebody has ten billion dollars of, of Bitcoin that they that they bought for ten dollars, and and they or, or even let's make it even more clear, Elon Musk, who doesn't give a damn whether you live or die, can, can just can do a tweet and wipe you out. Yeah. Uh, I have a, you know, I have a good uh, analogy for that. What? I have a good analogy. That remember when I was talking to you about how the the market cap of Bitcoin versus the market cap of the yes. U.S. dollar. Okay, so think of Bitcoin's market cap as a swimming pool. So whenever you have a big investor jump in that swimming pool, he splashes everybody because the market cap of Bitcoin is so low. But now think of that regular. So now think of the big oh, uh, the regular fiat money out there currently is like the, one of the Great Lakes. Yeah. So when an or, investor, or even, or even better, look, or at, even, look at Elon Musk again. I mean, you know, in a stock, I, I can't, I can't move. Uh, you know, IBM. You know, I mean, not but by he, myself. Elon Musk but, can move Twitter just as quickly as he can move yeah. Dogecoin. So well, I'd, that's true. I'd say it's, that makes what's the difference of the stock market in some ways that one but, big but investor yeah, becomes the, the, the odds, the odds of market manipulation in in cryptocurrencies is way greater. Oh, that's I mean, true. That's I'm, true. I'm not, I can't, I'm not a professor that's on this. True. It just seems intuitively that that is true. Yes, and we uh, we and do see it, it is happening. We are seeing that happen. It, it is if you look at the smaller currencies, that definitely happens. There's things called rug pulls. Yeah. There's kind of a scam. Uh, so there there are scams. That's why we were saying in the beginning, beware of those, right. you know, the, the last 9,000 of the top 10,000, you probably yeah. don't want to have anything to do <laughs> with. But in the top 100 or 200, that's the place I would look around and you might, right. th you're going to find less likelihood of right. that. Right. And, and a great place to look for those is, you know, coinmarketcap.com. And then also realize, we talked about Coinbase a little bit earlier, when now Coinbase does have higher fees if you're going to decide on an exchange to use. They sure do. But here's the thing with Coinbase. They have stricter listing requirements. So there's a certain number of, of liquidity that's required to be listed on uh, Coinbase. So if you're new and you are looking for different coins, Coinbase can be a great place to look for things that are being traded, that do have liquidity, that you can sell back for fiat currency later, whether it's for a gain or a loss. Who knows? Like I said. Um, so I think when you're when you're going to, if you want, if you're interested in cryptocurrency, if you want practical tips for saying, how do I invest? Start by one, looking at the use case. Start by two, looking, is it is it on a major exchange like Coinbase that has stricter listing requirements? Can you freely trade it back and forth with fiat currency? Like, yes, you can go to places like Uniswap. You can do some yield farming and you can add to Euclid. I know I'm saying lots of words here. But the problem is, <laughs> is it requires a lot of uh, learning curve for those things. And anybody can list anything on those. So watch out for coins like what Eric said. Watch out for coins that m don't make it easy for you to sell back, that require you to lock it up, because those could be scams, just like uh, <laughs> just like the Squid the Squid Games coin. Uh, they said, oh, yeah, you can buy this, but you can't sell it. So you want to watch for those red flags. So if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency, too, make sure you remember this is speculative. So limit how much you're going to put in your portfolio. Say, OK, I'm going to limit my portfolio to 5% cryptocurrency currencies and see what I can do. So these are just some practical things you can do to say, okay, I want to try some stuff out. I want to find some good coins and I want to make sure I'm not going to lose my shirt over this. Okay. Now, and, and we really do have to close, but I need to do one more thing. I don't want to do any research because <laughs> I'm inherently lazy and stupid. So here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to ask you two guys or, or you two, Aaron, if you want, what coins do I buy? You I want your favorite three or four, whatever, right now. What would you buy? 
Well, I'd say if, if you don't want to do any research, you probably shouldn't be doing cryptocurrency. <laughs> uh, but me personally, who did my research, uh, my favorites lately, I, I, I still like Bitcoin just because the limited scarcity. Uh, but of the ones you probably haven't heard of as much, my favorite, I think, is Stellar Lumens. Stellar Lumens is a very high speed transaction at a very low cost. And it was designed specifically for international currency transactions. So it's, it's made to compete with Western Union and MoneyGram specifically. And I think it does a great job. Uh, there's one I like called Avalanche. That, as Miranda mentioned, cross-chain is, uh, is difficult, like going from Ethereum to Polygon or some other chain that, that can be challenging. So Avalanche makes that work. I like that. Um, actually, Polygon is another I like. It, the, what about Solana? Called... Is Solana is another one I like. That's, Solana that's, is good. That's when we get to my section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, yeah so the ones like, that I'm mentioning like... are the ones that they have their own blockchain with the ability to put a smart contract on it. So that, that use case thing. So these are the ones that I'm hoping will be the, the Amazons and the Ebays and not the pets.com because they don't really yeah, do anything. That's cool. Okay, Miranda, you're on. Yeah, so then we gotta go. Yeah, so so like Eric, I like Stellar a lot. Stellar Lumens, I have that. I like that a lot. Solana, like he mentioned, I like a lot. Solana is interesting. It has a different consensus. I'm saying words again, but they use a different protocol, um, and it's it's called proof of history. So it's a it's a sli it's a different protocol. It's supposed to be faster, and it doesn't require as much um, communication, like digital communication between the verification nodes anyway whatever i know i'm saying words again but i like solana yes, <laughs> and it's also supposed to be um uh more energy efficient than many of the blockchains that are out there right now and so uh, you guys it's a good idea i'm sorry go ahead you yeah. go and finish and then finally i also i think that i think that um chain link is interesting to me because uh it's it powers hybrid smart contracts so it helps blockchains access off-chain data so that you can kind of meld those together. And so I like that use case where you can pull in data from other places and use it to create a smart contract and, and manage your transactions. So those are the ones cool. that are interesting to me as well. And I am staking uh, one called Tezos, uh, which is really... Um, I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about would, it, but it's really about peer-to-peer -peer stuff, you know, and, and and again, smart contracts. Would you guys say that if you're a novice like or, or, or like an old guy like me, would, would you say, just get some Ethereum and don't worry about it? Or would you would you want to speculate in these little coins that you got or, or less known coins like you guys were just talking about? It just depends on who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, I guess. Yeah. I'd say is you know, just think in total what percent of your portfolio you would want to put in risky alternatives right. for me that's like five percent so of my total net worth i'm never going to put more than up to five percent okay. roughly in crypto across all of them because you know if it goes up 10 times i'll be thrilled and if it goes to zero i'll be mad but i won't be broke um, so I, I what i'd take that approach however you want to slice well and dice your investments well said. Now, see, we've eliminated the risk for me because if these coins, I buy these coins that you guys suggested and they go wrong, I can sue you now. So I have no risk. <laughs>
No, this is not <laughs> financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> Do your this own due diligence and invest at your own risk. This is for entertainment yeah, and okay. educational and, purposes and I, only. <laughs> what Miranda Thank said. You. Edu- education. Yeah, what Miranda said. But and yeah, and we will conclude with that too today. And and like you know, and I said that on purpose as a joke, of course, because these are risky things, and these guys made that very clear. And uh, you don't ever buy anything based just on what we say here. Okay. We are now out of time, but we are never out of topic, especially this one. You want to dig a little deeper? You should. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is MirandaMarkwood.com. And, of course, you want to visit Eric Rosenberg at his website. That is ericrosenberg.com. If you got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you appreciate what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. It takes you two seconds. really helps us, though. So if you like us, show us. And subscribe and tell your friends, too. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. And that's right. Subscribe, people. Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all you're going to say? You're not going to say That's all your I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. And, and Eric, this is where you say your name, too. And I'm Eric Rosenberg. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you right here next time. <laughs>